Hi, I'm Nikki Schrera, and you're listening to The Jazz Session, the original jazz interview podcast. This is episode 600 for the 18th of May, 2022. I get slightly dizzy in awe contemplating trumpeter Dave Douglas's creative output. He is a performer, a recording artist who released a vast number of albums between 2019 and 2022 alone, an educator, including a 10-year stint as artistic director of the workshop in jazz and creative music at the Banff Centre, and a pioneer of artist-run labels with Greenleaf Music, which is nearly 20 years old. His musical collaborations are many and varied, including revered artists like Joe Lovano, Linda May Hanno, Bill Frizzell, and vocalist Aoife O'Donovan. He's immensely generous, community-minded, and really communicates his thoughts about music, life, spirituality, and so much more beautifully. Here's our conversation. Thank you. 
Dave. Hi, and welcome to the Jazz Session. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's wonderful to be here under this new management. <laughs> well, rel relatively new. I know you've been doing it for a while now, but um, yeah, it's great. Thank you. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here, not just because of your output as a musician and a composer, but because I also know that you wear the hat of podcaster and and of, of course, if you want to complain to management, you can. That'll just come direct back to me. So that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> the perks of a one woman show. You have a couple of albums, one which will have come out by the time this airs and one which will be coming out to the masses after this airs. And of course, your body of work before that, outside of that, is vast. So I'm really keen to just pick your brain on a whole myriad of things and I hope you'll grin and bear it. Uh, since you I'm happy to do it. I just hope that I don't lose you too many listeners along the way. <laughs> no, that, that will never ever happen. Not because of me, but because of you. You're, you're that interesting and I speak for everyone. So let's start with Secular Psalms, which was commissioned by the City of Ghent and Handelbeer's Theatre to commemorate the 600th anniversary of the creation of the Ghent Altarpiece by Jan van Eyck. I was so interested to receive the press release and the audio for this album because it's about I, I, probably the third album of yours that I'm aware of, of taking inspiration from the spiritual. And the other albums, there was 2012's Be Still, which is a particular favorite of mine partly because of the record as a whole, but also the title track, which Aoife O'Donovan sings in the most goosebump-inducing way. I love that. And it was also, I know, very uh, personal to you, so it, it had a lot of meaning. And then there was also the album, which is coming out in June, which is called Overcome, which to me has a, a spiritual bent to it. What I like about your press releases is that they never communicate your spiritual beliefs or leanings, which I appreciate because I think that it can be a little bit prescriptive if somebody's personal beliefs get mixed in and then it affects the way the listener receives the music and yada, yada, yada. But since I have you in conversation, can you share where the two intersect for you, the spiritual and the music? Wow, thank you. That oof. can I just sit here and listen to you? That, that was such a sweet introduction. Um, yeah, thank you. I mean, I like to think that all of the music is spiritual, that we're playing for the spirits, that we're inspired by the spirits, and that we're just giving back and that invoking uh, the human experience is always a part of. Um, of our being here on the planet and existing and, and being part of this long lineage that goes back many, 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 many centuries and will continue for many, 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 many centuries. And we're just here in the middle of this stream of never ending time. So I, I, I do secular Psalms. There's a very particular meaning to it for me. Um, and I used the word secular, you know, exactly like you said, I, because I didn't want it to be um, partisan in terms of any particular vision of, 
religion. Obviously, the adoration of the mystic lamb, the painting, the Ghent altarpiece comes from a particular tradition, which, because it's 600 years ago, has completely transmogrified <laughs> over the over those 600 years. I mean, we see those images completely differently now. So um, I felt like I wanted that spiritual awareness and essence to be a universal um, observation and manifestation. And the Psalms to be songs of praise for all of us, for not one group of people, but for all of humanity. And the commission came before this pandemic and all the lockdowns. So the meaning of my choice of title even changed during the making of it. When the songs for, you know, songs of praise for all humanity became a much bigger topic and for all the musicians involved changed the meaning because we were so mm, fulfilled to be making music with each other and to be discovering this new music that I'd written and with very, very specific inspirations from the period, from the images, from the music of that period, uh, and from texts from that period. Um, I did a lot of research on poets from the time, and there was a woman named Christine, Christine de Pizan, whose poetry I found, who was in the court at the same time as Van Eyck. Van Eyck, I've been told I'm supposed to say. And, yeah. So, uh, all of that became part of it. There's lyrics in French and there's, I used bits of the Latin mass text and some translations. And I wrote some of the lyrics myself. And then Overcome was also a record that, uh, it was a project that um, began through a conversation that I had with Ryan Keberly, the trombonist about, um, probably in, in mid to late 2019, um, about trying to activate young voters in the 2020 elections and how we could make a music project that would express uh, our social and political and activist beliefs and also hopefully communicate them. Um, and so there was touring planned in college towns and we were going to be raising awareness in that way. And then when everything locked down, um, I, I kept writing and started writing songs with lyrics and um, brought in Camila Meza and Faye Victor as vocalists. And uh, it, it just turned into something else that was still about that initial impulse. And we ended up um, doing some Zoom conferences with colleges in Wisconsin and Iowa and Michigan. And so all was not lost. And it just made me even happier that I continued to work, even though the shutdown happened. And I, 
how to put this i i i you know for me all of this is not really a job because as long as i'm working on music i feel like it's it's just i'm lucky to be here and it's a joy and it's why i'm here so i was not going to stop working on that and i didn't have the technical skills that i had never done a zoom call in my life um so i got pro tools and i got a nice trumpet mic and i figured out how to use it and figured out how to share files and communicate with musicians and just completely changed the way um i was writing the charts so that we could communicate um over distance and over time uh on overcome what's one of the really interesting things for me is that there's a lot of quote unquote free improvising a lot of um a lot of sort of open sections that were indeterminate and that we were able to create a situation through various ideas and techniques and plans and happenstance um that we created these improvisations that are completely surprising and that i very specifically in my composing left open this place where i was like this is where we would need to play and now i'm going to figure out how we're going to do that so to me that's spiritual to get back to your i think your question um we i did want to do an arrangement of we shall overcome uh from the very beginning inspired by Carla Blaze's arrangement featuring Roswell Rudd on the original Liberation Music Orchestra LP and then the word as i was working with them and in lockdown and everything in flux the word overcome started to mean different things to me yes we shall overcome but we are also overcome with our emotion and our love and our spirit and feeling and so that's what ended up um getting poured into into that project and thank you for asking me about it we shall overcome we shall overcome we shall overcome Uh, that secular psalms it was a commission 
what changes for you and what do you enjoy about the process of writing and then recording when a work is commissioned as opposed to it is something that you are doing off your own bat? Wow, that's a really interesting question. I, I don't know that it's so different. I, I guess the main difference is with a commissioned piece, you know, there's a definite objective to it. And um, the, 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 the goals and aims can only change so much. Whereas if it's one of my own projects, things I'm cooking up, I'm it's sort of the whole titles can change. You know, I'm, I'm wrestling with this big band piece right now that's about uh, 1990s LA crime fiction. And I, you know, it's such a huge topic. There's so many ramifications to it. And so I just, I have some authors I really like and, but I feel like I'm free to follow that where it goes. Whereas if it was commissioned by the city of Los Angeles and the family of Rodney King, then boom. Uh, okay. Yes. Respect. Um, Would you be glad for those parameters? Uh, let me put it this way. I don't chafe at them. I don't have a problem because there's always parameters. There are always, I mean, in my own work that I do, what was the phrase you used on my own? Uh, off your own bat, yeah. maybe. Off my own bat. I mean, the only way I can write is to make the parameters around the bat. So I, it, it, in some sense, it's not that different. I will say this commission was very, um, very welcome and very uh, wonderful because the commissioner is a promoter, a presenter in uh, Ghent, Belgium, who I've been playing for for 35 years maybe 40 years, I, just one of the people I've known the longest. He's always supported my work. Every project I've ever done and been involved in has played in Ghent at one of his places. And so he knows that I've been visiting the cathedral there from the very beginning and that I love this painting. I had a small piece that I wrote inspired by the painting back maybe 20, 22 years ago on a, on a record called Witness. And he knew that as well. So when the city announced we're going to use these different art forms to celebrate this 600th anniversary, he called me up and he said, would you want to do this? And I said, um, yes. And uh, <laughs> probably I didn't even say, um, uh, cause I, that kind of project for me is it's what as a composer makes you write something new that you never wrote before to me. That's the whole thing. It's like every piece has to have parameters. And, and I had wide latitude to follow it where it went. And every step of the way, this commissioner was 100% um, in support. And, uh, and, and, you know, that's a wonderful feeling. And even with the lockdown worked with me as I continued to work with these musicians that we had uh, found through listening to projects and meeting people and talking to people I knew. And I was looking for a new cast of characters with an unusual instrumentation. 
And so uh, Wim is his name, really helped facilitate all of us um, getting to work on this. And I realized when it was done that, you know, I, I had never met some of these people in person. Oh, and then developed a very personal relationship over recording these pieces. So that leads me so beautifully, it's as if you read my mind, to my next question, which is about you and your collaborators. Because I've never met you before. I've only ever listened to your work. I've seen you perform. And I'm aware of your work as an educator and as somebody who I would just say is really a contributor to the jazz community at large in a myriad of ways. And so the idea that you collaborate with not just so many people, Dave, but so many people who are at different stages of their musical journey, i.e. emerging artists, student artists, very high profile jazz musicians. It runs the gamut. There's something incredibly egalitarian about that, which I imagined always, and now it's been proven now that I am meeting you, albeit virtually, <laughs> that it really speaks to your spirit of generosity and your endless musical curiosity, which can partly be satiated by working with people of different nationalities and different skill sets and who are at a different point in their journey. So you want to talk about long-winded. Please <clears throat> um, go on, please. <laughs> so my question is, so you mentioned that, I mean, there's a chalice, beautiful, is it Tomika or Tomika? Tomika Reed, yes. Tomika Reed, Marta Vareles, Berlinda Diemann, Frederick LaRue and Lander Geiselink on this album, but other collaborators, it stretches as far back as, you know, Bill Frizzell on early recordings. Joe Lovano is an ongoing collaborator with you and you released something with him last year. Linda Mahan, oh, Rudy Royston. The list is endless and the variety is so wide. How do you choose your collaborators? And what for you are some of the traits of a successful, enjoyable collaboration. Wow. Uh, sometimes collaborators choose you. Um, sometimes it's just life circumstance. Uh, sometimes the music requires it. Um, sometimes you just discover somebody and you love what they do and you want to work with them. Uh, I'm around a lot of young musicians now, and I just, I, I enjoy it so much and it keeps me from calcifying. Um, and I don't mean that in a, oh, I'm rejuvenated by all these young cats kind of corny <laughs> way. I, I mean that everybody has something to offer and I think everybody goes through life and the aging process differently. And so just because someone is younger or older doesn't necessarily have any bearing on what they're bringing to the table in terms of the music and in terms of the personal collaboration. So I just think remaining as wide open as possible uh, is the best thing to do and, and keeps one learning new languages and new ways of thinking um, 
there are a lot of young, extremely mature, extremely well-educated musicians out there. And I played not so long ago with a very, very, very elderly famous musician who was incredibly shut down, in, in, incredibly inspiring, wonderful. I learned so much from the interchange, but it was basically this person was just going to do what they were going to do. And I had to go to that, which I was willing to do, but it's not, you know, um, so I, I just feel like collaboration is always wonderful. Hopefully uh, I've had very few situations that didn't turn out as well as hoped. I would like to think that people think the same of me, uh, but I, you know, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but um, again, I just think as long as it's about the music, it's, you know, the more the merrier and uh, everybody has beautiful things to offer. And I feel like a composer's job is to illuminate those things, not necessarily to find performers who can illuminate what you have to say, but for you to honestly hear a person and then be able to write something that's going to bring something out of that particular performer. Um, and the band you mentioned with Joe Lovano, it's called Sound Prince, and we each write in equal measure for the group. And we write very differently. And we've now, you know, we're on, I think this is now our third album together. And, uh, I feel like our styles of writing for the band have become even more distinctive and different, but I know when he brings a tune, he's thinking about me. And he knows that when I bring a tune, I'm thinking about him. And so when I'm particularly challenged by one of his new pieces, I know that this is the challenge that is here for a reason. And I need to really work on this, and get this together. And that's, you know, that's really something.
Hi, a quick note from me, Nikki, about how you can best support the Jazz Session podcast, if you wish. This podcast is made possible thanks to the generosity of listeners who enjoy these conversations so much that they head to Patreon and become patrons of the Jazz Sessions Patreon page. If you go to thejazzsession.com join, you will be able to find out how you can become a Patreon today and what sort of perks await you. There are only two tiers of membership, $5 or $10 a month. It's very simple and all support is so appreciated and welcomed so do become a part of the jazz session community and head to thejazzsession.com slash join to find out more about how you can become a patron today and of course there are other ways for you to support this podcast you can follow the jazz session on twitter facebook instagram you can subscribe to the jazz session on all podcast platforms and you can rate and review the podcast reviewing it as a star system on apple podcasts it takes a matter of seconds but it really helps with the visit of the show it helps other people who are not aware that the show exists i know apparently these people are out there don't ask me it helps them find the show and the more the merrier i say so thank you for any and all support and please do let me know how you're enjoying the podcast thus far now back to my conversation with dave just to put it into perspective for people because online i think if people read about you it says things that are very general like oh, he's recorded over 50 albums. And I want to say, of course, he's recorded over 50 albums. But let's look at how many he's recorded in, say, the last two, three years to really have it hit home. You recorded and released, well, let me say you released about, you tallied maybe three or four albums in 2021. There were three or four albums in 2020. You're putting the rest of us to shame. But the point is, even if you were releasing an album a year that would still be tremendous how do you view this and are you aware that you're putting out so much does it feel effortless (laughs) i'm a i'm a i'm a great maker and keeper of lists i have a whiteboard you can't see it it's on the other side of the computer screen but just with all the various projects that are in states of um preparation and just to you know keep going oh what what about this one and i update it every couple weeks you know and so that i'm keep making progress on everything but there's always uh, a lot of different parties involved and so you know sometimes if something is slipping through the cracks i'll get a email from the engineer hey you know what what am i doing with these tracks and i'm like oh right got to listen to that and do the editing and do the, you know, so, um, but, uh, in, 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 in most cases, you know, each, each of the projects is very personal and, and has great meaning and that, you know, so, uh, it's just always a function of, um, keeping them all, uh, moving forward. And that means the relationships with the musicians and with everyone involved in production and with everybody working for Greenleaf Music um, and with promoters and just uh, keeping the projects um, moving. And, and, And sometimes projects don't make it all the way to the finish line and for various reasons, and that's okay. Um, But I usually, for me, once I've conceived of something, especially once I've started writing, I pretty much always finish it. 
because I, I don't like throwing things away. And I feel like once I've committed to doing the project, I've thought enough about it that I know it has meaning for me. And at that point, I feel, you know, I may get somewhere down the road and then something happens with a collaborator or things change or, you know, booking is a very fickle uh, area. So sometimes you just never know. Um, but uh, I feel like um, it's like being an author, you know, it's just holding all those threads and projects and various folders on my piano back there and each one housing a different sort of project theme idea. And, um, and it's just the, the it's the, I was going to say it's the way I've always worked. It's the way that I've worked since I feel like I became a real composer, which was not at the beginning of my path. Um, I was basically a jazz trumpet player at the outset and wanted to be a jazz messenger and just worked and practiced and got some, got into a tier where I had some nice, more or less straight ahead jazz gigs. And then I started to um, get curious about what different kinds of music one could play and, and started to feel like, okay, if I go to these gigs and I play the head and then I play a good solo and I play the head out and then I go home, you know, is that really ultimately the end game or is there a bigger context? And that's when I, when I, when I say that's when I became a composer was when I started grappling with that question and then devising strategies for how to do it. Some of that was going back to things I'd been given in music school that I didn't think were important at the time, but some of it was devising some new things of my own uh, and then channeling that into very specific project goals and ideas and sounds so that it wouldn't just be the same thing every time. So you, you mentioned some number of albums and i like to each think that each one has its own theme and personality and all the compositions hold together as a whole but also are distinct from all the other ones and and i like to um develop a band sound and so i'm very grateful to everybody who has played the music i've written over the years um this quintet with that you mentioned with matt mitchell Linda Mahon O, Rudy Royston, John Arabigan. We've been together for a good number of years now. Actually, that record, Be Still, was the first session of, of that quintet. And we had Aoife, in, uh, Aoife O'Donovan as a guest. Um, but we've gone on to make several more. And actually, during lockdown, I wrote 16 new tunes for the band. And we've recorded them. And so that'll come out later this year. Um, that's a double CD project. And because the band was breaking up because everybody's gotten so busy with their own projects and with other things. And then suddenly everyone's just at home. And so I was like, okay, well, now I'm captive audience. Let me write these tunes. Um, so I'm, boy, I've wandered, uh, incredibly off, um, topic, but, um, 
I guess the, the thing for me is just, like you said, the curiosity to always want to play and find new things to play. And then the will as a composer to always be discovering new ways of writing and new strategies and new people. And ultimately the communication with those people is at the root of it. Um, and then if that communication goes well, the chance to communicate with the world at large and the, the, an audience, you know, is the next step. But the, the real high is to be with your friends and discovering some new music together and finding that spot where it clicks. And I, you know, I've, I've said this, I, this is now becoming a, a tick of, of mine, but I've said it in, in a composition workshop, you know, they're like, why do you write? And I said, well, so that I'll have something fun to do with my friends. Most of my friends are musicians. So, you know, at the root of it, if you think about it, it that really is the basic thing. I sit there with the notebook and I'm like, okay, what would be fun to do? You know, and then I've been doing it a long time so that there's a lot involved in that question. But at the root of it, that is the most simple explanation of my job as I see it. If we move on from you as a recording musician to everything else that you do, you're an educator. You had 10 years as the director of the Banff International Workshop in jazz. And, and, uh, and, and now Vijay Iyer became the, the director and that's been a wonderful thing to, to see. Well, it's very, that's again, you're so incredibly generous, but back to you, cause you did 10 years. <laughs> And you, you, you still educate. In fact, that's where I first saw you perform was at York University here in Toronto, where you'd been working with students. And then you were a pioneer in artist-run labels. It's nearly 20 years ago that you started Greenleaf Music, your label, which is a label to not just you, but a whole host of fascinating and phenomenal and varied and incredibly talented musicians. And I'm going to link to website links so that people will go and click and read and see and listen. You have a podcast linked to that label where you chat to musicians about their work and their processes. You blog. You could so easily, Dave, just be a touring musician recording for someone else's label, which is something you have done you know, pre-2005, and you could dabble in teaching, you know, as and when it suits you. So what drives you to engage in so many facets of being a musician? And what do you get out of it? And I mean, really, genuinely, how do you do it all? Is it the whiteboard? <laughs> I I just think if if there's something you can do, you should do it. And even better if it serves the community. Yeah. And this does. I mean, I, I've been involved in active, you know, social activism over the years, many years. And uh, around, well, very specifically, I was involved a lot in trying to get George W. Bush out of the presidency uh, around the time of the Iraq war and put a lot of funding and effort and sweat and 
time into trying to make that happen. And when we were not able to make that happen, I had a real soul search and I was like, all of that work that I did and, and it didn't really, um, not, not that I should have been able to single-handedly make that happen, but it, it was just, I felt like, you know what? There's a lot of people in my own community that could use some help and that I know how to help in a way that I don't know how to help John Kerry. Um, and I support him in, in his new role now as the, as the, the climate czar. Um, you know, we, we need that. And I, I stay involved in organizations that are working on um, the projects that I think are really important for the planet and for equality and for all of us to survive together. Uh, but I started the Festival of New Trumpet Music at that time because I thought, boy, one kind of person I really know how to help is a young trumpet player trying to make creative music. And it was a time when, I don't know, you know, if you remember, there was this thing called, it was kind of a culture war about jazz. And I got held up as this anti-Winton Marsalis thing for some reason. And I just tried to keep my head down and keep making music because it was so absurd. But it became the dominant feature of the discussion. And I felt like, well, if there's only two kind of trumpet players, me and Winton, you know, how sad is that? I could sit down and write on a cocktail napkin 50 names of great creative players. This was in 2003 with Roy Campbell Jr. after a gig that we played at Tonic. And, uh, and I was like, you know, we should, we should do this. And so we then some years later became a nonprofit and now we're preparing our 20th season supporting young trumpet player. Well, not just young trumpet players. We now give an award to, uh, creative pioneers who are still here, who don't always get all the awards. And uh, so that's been, you know, like we one year gave it to Kenny Wheeler and he came to New York and played and was so great. What out of Leo Smith was our first awardee. Um, tons of great names. And uh, it's an, a chance for me to also keep the name of my great teacher, Laurie Frink, in the mouths of people and in, you know, in people's minds and hearts. Um, so Greenleaf was a little like that in that I felt like I don't want it to just be my music. I want to also, you know, people that are doing great work that are doing the, the hard work of getting out there and playing and touring and making great music um, and not getting supported in the big institutional, structural, corporate areas of this music. And, and so just to help facilitate that, just became a part of the work. Um, all these projects that you described, you know, it's making me tired, um, but it's important to remember it didn't just all happen overnight. It's all things that have developed over a number of years. And as I've got in a position where I can provide this small platform for artists. I just feel like the work's become even more important and it sustains my own creative work 
um, all the creative choices involved in Greenleaf music, the festival of new trumpet music, but also in sharing music uh, in an educational system with younger musicians, you know, I, that enriches me creatively. Um, I now am teaching a few courses at the new school in New York, and I have some private students and they're wonderful. And uh, it always forces me to uh, to revisit how I think about my work, how I do my work, and how I would explain that to someone in a way that might help them to. And I have um, I have this course called Creating Music Workshop. I was just working on the assignment that I'm going to give them tomorrow, and I take a lot of my assignments out of Mary Oliver's poetry handbook because she's so specific about the craft decisions. And so I think to talk about, okay, here's this very specific musical thing that you can think about that's going to take you out of your writer's block or your assumptions or your headspace about what am I supposed to write? And just, okay, you know, as, as Anne Lamott says, um, sit down, start writing, don't get up. <laughs> I think it's so great. So yeah, I mean, I, I guess that is still tangential, but still in the in the universe of your question, it's just all music related. And I just see all these tasks that I can do. So I try to do them. because you are an artist and you are putting out your own music but you are also on the receiving end because of Greenleaf music of I'd imagine receiving a huge vast number of album pitches or submissions from artists all over the world including yours and I'm so sorry that we we're not able to do it because your music is wonderful and I haven't forgotten it was some years ago but yeah Dave, the check is in the oh. mail. What piques your interest when an artist contacts you, ascertaining whether or not, and it really, again, I also want to drum home, especially because you brought up 
me pitching you 10 years ago, a decade ago. Oh my gosh, I'm old. But but so often I think it's helpful for musicians who are pitching to realize it's a wonderful opportunity to introduce somebody to your music, regardless of the outcomes. You're putting your best foot forward. It's not a random cold contact email. You're emailing with a very specific query, which is helpful for the recipient, i.e. you. Um, but also that you aren't saying, I like this music, I'll put it out. You're looking at Greenleaf as a whole, as an umbrella and saying, well, how does this music fit within this family of other artists? And how can we help them? Absolutely. And so, you know, I think that's a great point. It really isn't personal. And that's not just some sort of fluffy talk. What are your kind of criteria and what are some things that when you're listening to somebody's music that you think, oh, actually, this might this might work? Um, boy, I hear so much great music. And so the hardest thing is to say no to someone where you really love the music and you love the person. And, you know, we just have a very limited number of projects that we can do. And, you know, I have a wonderful team working for me but if i just signed everybody the ship would tip over which just would not be sustainable um so i uh yeah what you said about the letter being the approach being personal not 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 necessarily personal but at least with an awareness that there's a creative team working here of human beings. And it's not just a cold call. Um, and it helps if you get the name of the label right, which you'd be surprised how many people don't. And that's not a disqualifier, but it's just like one little flag, you know, okay. Um, Details matter, details <laughs> matter. Well, but it's also just like, an awareness of what you're applying for. What are you, what are you asking for? You know, and if you don't even really know who we are and what we do, then you know we're we're too small to be handling anonymous requests. And if if I get uh, just a general email that's a blast or not addressed to anyone, that I you know. I mean, I'll take, I'll glance at it, but usually I'm not, it's, it's not going to, but if it's, if it's to me or if it's to the Greenleaf music team, it always gets listened to. It's not, I'm not the quickest uh, draw east of the Mississippi, but I do get to everything and eventually respond to everyone. Um, and uh, people are making great music all over the world. Um and sometimes, to be honest, somebody will send something that I, I can't take on at Greenleaf, but there may be a spot for them in the trumpet festival. So, you know, I get some submissions for that too, but um, I feel like I, it's just very interesting hearing what people are doing and it's very varied. Um, I think if the person knows who we are, it's helpful. I think if the person shows an inclination to be a part of a team and not just be um, a client or be serviced by us, 
that's really important because I think it's the only way that it can work is for there to be gigs and performances. And I make it very clear, you know, this is just a platform for your music to get a wider audience. And if you do this and you're touring and you're doing this and that, and it leads you to a bigger stage, wonderful. You know, that's the whole goal is for you to, you know, I, there's no exclusive thing where they're tied to Greenleaf. Um, and um, so all of those things going together, uh, I also feel like um, seeing that someone is tied into a community of musicians is really important because I think that's how our world works. We are built of myriad communities and people working together. Um, and says, so says the guy who just put out a solo album. Um, but um, uh, I do think, you know, I've been doing this long enough that I start to see circles of names of people. So I'll get a submission from someone and I'll like, oh, wouldn't their name, you know, I like people. So I tend to remember people as I remember you. And I just note, you know, if somebody's like playing with everybody, I'm a lot more likely to sort of take a special interest. But I do, I listen to everything and always respond because I feel like, um, first of all, I, you know, I was someone once who sent a lot of people music. Um, and I would have liked to think that people would actually listen to it. A lot of people come to me and say, none of these labels ever get back to us about anything. And I just feel like that's not cool. But then I also feel like, okay, here's a person who's committed their life to making this music and that's a heroic act and who am i to just blow it off and and pretend it doesn't exist you know i mean they're heroes in my eyes even if i can't do it it's like wow you put this whole thing together and sent it to you know that's wow praise so uh and i've had so many rejections in my career and i still get them but uh I just feel like I don't want to be a generator of that kind of energy in the world. Um, I, I heard a saying that I loved so much and I find it hilarious that um, it goes, uh, do you realize I had 38 rejections before I got my 39th rejection? <laughs> I had a great rejection once when I booked my first European tour, it was with Tiny Bell Trio. Yeah, I got my third, I got 38 rejections before I got my 39th rejection. Tiny Bell Trio with um, Brad Shepik and Jim Black. This is in 1993. And I just, I booked it myself from New York. It was before email. So it was like, you know, faxes and getting up at five in the morning to call Europe. And, but I was just determined. And we'd made a record and it was a band that was very mobile. It was just, you know, trumpet, guitar and drums. And 
they all wanted to do it. And so I just like worked, worked, worked. And I have this great, and I lost the letter. I wish I still had it. It's a letter from the uh, jazz club, Carl's Rua, which it's venerable institution, been there a long time. And, uh, but at that time, yeah, uh, I was sending them my stuff. I was probably cassette tapes at that time. Um, and I got a letter from them. I, th I, can't, I think it was a fax. It said, Dear Mr. Douglas, we are not interested in you or your music. Please stop contacting us. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I wish I still had that. And then I was playing there 10, 15 years later and my picture on the cover of the thing. So I was like, okay, I see. The, the arc of the moral universe is long, but. <laughs> oh, I love that, Dave. I mean, that's such a, that's such a lovely place to end because not only have you offered up such sage advice for musicians, who are planning to pitch a record to any label. I mean, those those key points that you mentioned are the points, but everything you said touches on these facets of you, community-minded, beyond heroic. If you think that putting out an album and getting a pitch together is heroic and you're doing that two, three, four times a year, you are the Marvel version of a jazz hero, without a doubt. Aww. But also, I mean, just your your whole outlook and sense of humor. And if that hasn't stood you in good stead, I don't know what has. Oh, thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat to me and all of the the virtual listeners out there. Well, I'm honored. I'm honored to be on the jazz session and, and just be a part of it and, and speak to it. And thank you for asking about secular psalms. We're very excited about the project. And so just the fact of your interest means a lot.
A huge thank you to this week's guest, Dave Douglas. As usual, I will make a note in the show notes for this episode of all the music that was played and any links that were mentioned so that you can find them, click on them, and go and have a gander. A huge thank you to the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music of this show. You're welcome to follow The Jazz Session on Twitter at Jazz Sesh and on Facebook and Instagram at The Jazz Session. There is also a YouTube page to which you can subscribe if you want to watch video excerpts of my conversations with The Jazz Session's guests. A huge thank you to the patrons over at thejazzsession.com slash join. Head there today if you want to become a Patreon member. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in and to any support that you may shower upon this show, whether it's telling a friend, family or four-legged pal about how much you enjoy these conversations. My name is Nikki Schrera and I will see you next week for another conversation with an astounding jazz musician about their music and their process here on The Jazz Session. <laughs>